So many of us may find it hard to imagine ourselves in the shoes of Mary. I mean, you know, let's be, be honest. I mean, there may be some, but how many of us have been visited by an angel and then told that we are going to be pregnant with the Savior of the world, right? That's crazy. That never, that, that has not happened to us. And yet, many of us actually find ourselves experiencing the exact same thing that Mary did, just in a different way. See, because when when we start to strip away from the story, what we see is that Mary actually, what Mary hears is, from the angel, is life-changing news. Mary hears life-changing news. Now, do you remember, some of you may, when Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech? Or when uh, you saw photos for the first time uh, from the Pathfinder when it landed on the moon? Or um, the moment that Jose Batista hit the home run and performed the legendary bat flip. We hear world-changing news every day, don't we? It seems like that's sped up considerably in the last nine months of our lives, too. And how do we respond to it, right? Happy with the bat flip? blown away by the photos of Mars, convicted or empowered by MLK's speech. You know, we hear news all the time, and we respond to it all the time. But even more like Mary, we don't just receive world-changing news. We receive life-changing news. We receive news that touches us as individuals or as families all the time in our lives. Some more meaningful or notable than others, right? That volleyball coach that calls you over and tells you that you're cut from the team. It's life-altering news. Or the letter from the university that tells you that you've been accepted into that program that you really wanted to get accepted into. It was the the top school in your application portfolio. Or the phone call from your son or daughter telling you that they got engaged. Or the doctor that says you have to wear a cast for the next nine weeks. Or an angel showing up on your front door telling you you're going to be pregnant with the Savior of the world. See, whether you're 66 or 6, we all receive news. We all receive life-altering, life-changing news. One Christian author I was reading this week put it like this. He said, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have managed to put together a good life, for ourselves. No matter how hard we've worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family and a successful career, something will inevitably ruin it. It's going to happen. And so when uh, we come to this, the key question for us is how can we respond like Mary? That when something news, life-changing news, comes to her, that she responds in a way that um, goes contrary to what we would think. When something seems to ruin her life, she responds with submission and trust. See, Mary is someone who had the rug of her life pulled out from under her, and she found the ability to respond to the news in a way that made her sing. Right? We didn't read it in this passage, but in the passage that follows when she goes and visits Elizabeth, she responds with the Magnificat, right? My soul magnifies the Lord after hearing this life-changing news. How does she do it? 
How can she help us when we hear life-changing, life-challenging, life-altering news? And so two points this morning. Maybe it'll be shorter. Who knows? Two points are the message of the angel and the response of Mary. And so let's first look at the message of the angel because the, the angel brings both challenging news that it challenges Mary's story, and it also invites Mary into something bigger. So from the surface, as we read this passage, we think to ourselves, this is a great news for Mary. I mean, who wouldn't want to have a visit from an angel to be told that you're going to be pregnant with, with God's son, the mother of a king? There's so much king language in this passage. King, a king who reigns forever. This is good news, right? Except one major roadblock. See, we often read this passage with our Western glasses on, and so we have to take them off, and we have to see that in those days, betrothed women like Mary were not in their 20s and 30s like they normally are today, but were 12 or 13 years old, so barely in high school. Mary's life, in our way of thinking, is just getting started. The dreams of her life are just beginning to be formed in her mind, and then an angel shows up and brings her hopes and dreams to a screeching halt because when a woman was engaged, they were expected to be faithful as if they were married. And so when the angel shows up and tells Mary that she's going to give birth to a son as a virgin, she can see the headlines. She can see how people are going to respond. Everybody's going to know what happened. It's not going to be a secret. And the, the only two outcomes would be either Mary and Joseph uh, get a divorce— or Mary uh, is seen as unfaithful to Joseph if they stay together. Those are the only two outcomes that she sees. And both outcomes hit Mary the hardest, right? Because the least that would happen is her and Joseph would split up. But then Mary would be labeled forever. In a culture, an honor-shame culture, she would be labeled as unfaithful. She would lose her future protection, having a husband, and she would be left without any hope. That's best-case scenario. Worst-case scenario is that they drag her out of town and stone her. See, 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 this is difficult news for Mary to receive. How could the angel show up and say this to her? It seems unfair, doesn't it? Her life is over before it started. You know, why couldn't the angel just show up to somebody who was already married? <laughs> I can imagine that Mary's idea of the good life was not for her to be pregnant on her wedding day, was not to lose all social reputation, was not to eventually have a boy that would not be like other boys, that would be teaching crazy radical things, that would have the, the highest in authority in Jerusalem get really upset and angry at him and eventually have Mary watch her son being crucified on a Roman cross. Doesn't that sound like the good life? But you know this, this message, though it challenges Mary's idea of the good life, what Mary and Joseph may have, have been dreaming about as they lay underneath the stars together, thinking about their life together, that challenges this, but it's also a challenge that goes to each person because it's the essence of the gospel. This is a challenge that comes to each one of us 
Jesus said once, you know, to save your life, you have to lose it. There is a challenge that comes with the gospel. And so when we find ourselves challenged like Mary, when, when we receive life-altering news, we may feel like saying things to God, like, how dare you? How could you let this happen to me? You know this doesn't fit with my idea of how my life should go. Or another way we could respond is, you know, how could a loving God let this happen to me? If God, if God is, is allowing this to happen in my life, he must not love me. He must not care for me. He must, or he must not be powerful enough to do something about it. Now notice that this response isn't off the table for Mary. What's fascinating is that um, she is given space to be real with the angel, to process her questions and her doubts. Mary and Joseph in this story are given the exact same message from the angel, and they, res- they are able to respond in different ways. And one pastor I was reading this week said that that's because God recognizes that each person's journey of faith is different. Each person responding to the challenge of the gospel is, is different. In that Mary is given space to voice her doubts, to process her doubts. The, the word Mary ponders, right? you know, Mary pondered these things. Mary wondered about these things. Mary questioned these things. That, that word in the Greek is a very rational word. It's a, it's a math word. It means to add things up. And so she's given space to do this by the angel. She's not just expected to trust and just go along with things willy-nilly. She's given the space to question and to process the doubts of this, this challenge, this message from God. We often forget that the opposite of faith is not doubt. Right? The opposite of faith is unbelief. And often... Doubt can be a way that God uses to deepen our faith. We think about C.S. Lewis went through time of serious doubt. Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest American theologians, went through a time of processing doubts. We are all given space to do this in a way that drives us deeper. But when we hear life-changing news like Mary, and our idea of the good life is challenged and we come up against the questions that pop up in our mind what what it uncovers for us is who our true god is who do we really trust to run things in our lives whose life are we living and one illustration i heard a while back that exploded my mind and that challenges me to this day when I encounter life-changing, life-altering news. It goes like this. This pastor said, pulled a sheet of paper. Grab one. We'll need it for this. Okay, said, um, if the distance between the earth and the sun, think about that. We know where the sun is. Where's the sun? It's up. <laughs> it's that way is the earth and the sun pretty far away yeah is 93 million miles if that's equivalent to this sheet of paper okay see that pretty small then the distance between the earth and the nearest star would be a stack of paper 70 feet high 
built the roof of the church, maybe a little bit taller. A stack of, if, so this is the distance between the earth and the sun. The earth and the nearest star is a stack of paper to the height of this building. And the stack of paper between, for, uh, measuring the, di- the, the diameter of the Milky Way galaxy, right? The Milky Way galaxy is the galaxy that, that we call home. It's our little nook in the, <laughs> in the greater, <laughs> greater um, cosmos. That would be a stack of paper 300 miles high. That is wicked huge. That, it's hard to comprehend that number, isn't it? It's almost unfair for me to use this illustration. And I think that's the point. Right? When we think about how great and how big our universe is, and our universe is just a little nook in the rest of the cosmos, and we hear and we read about in Scripture, Hebrews 1.3, that says that Jesus Christ holds it all together with the word, one word of his power. It puts it in perspective. Right? Is God or you more qualified to run your life? Mary's encountering what each one of us encounters in our journey of faith. It's a trust question. Can we trust that God knows what he's doing even when we don't? When we can't see the outcome, can we trust that he knows what he's doing and that he is good? And this kind of gets at the heart of sin. Because what sin is, if we look back to the Garden of Eden, sin is is thinking that we can run our lives better than God can. Right? Adam and Eve, when they looked at that fruit, God had commanded them not to take it and not to eat it. And they looked at it and they took it and they ate it because they said, I know more than God does. I know what's best for me. God doesn't. It's a trust thing. They did not trust the boundaries that God had set out. They did not trust the abundance of fruit that God had given them in the garden and said, this is all you need. They said, no, we need this. And that's what each one of us comes up against when we hear and experience life-altering news like Mary. Can God's word be trusted? But the angel's message isn't just a challenge. It's also an invitation. You see, the gospel writer is intentionally, Luke is intentionally, he's a historian. And he's intentionally linking this message to basically everything else in the Bible. It's, it's crazy, the parallels that are in this, invita- in this, in this message. Right? One commentator summed it up like this. See, we, often we read this and we say, this is about a virgin birth. And this commentator opened my eyes and said this, the emphasis of this passage is not on the manner of Jesus' birth, though that's clearly part of it. But the focus is God's gracious work in fulfilling his promise to deliver his people. That's the focus of this passage. It's in God's gracious promise to deliver his people. For Luke, the commentator continues, for Luke, the birth's miraculous character serves only to demonstrate God's power in carrying out this plan. The virgin birth is just part of showing God's power to actually bring this story forward. Isn't that amazing? See, because 
the language in this passage is linking this to God's gracious work and God's promises all the way back to the Old Testament. It goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, promised through David and the prophets, and it finally, finally, finally comes to life in a virgin named Mary. In this way, Mary is invited by this angel into God's greater story. It's much bigger than what she sees in front of her. And she is an Advent person. Right? She says yes to God's invitation and sees herself as part of this story. What about us? When we experience life-changing news and trust God, we say yes to that invitation to be part of a bigger story. Now, we will not be pregnant with God's Son, but we know that we are pregnant with the Holy Spirit, right? God's personal presence that has come and made its way into our lives, into our hearts, which means that we carry Advent people. We are part of God's story. We are called and set apart to live different lives. Our very first health, is it not? To be transformed by the Gospels and renewed so that we may participate with God. Right? Transformed by the gospel to participate with God in his work, saving work of redeeming our world through Christ. We join Mary in what she did when we take up this cause. What does that look like, though? What's, a, what's amazing is how Fle Fleming Rutledge, as an Episcopal pastor, she wrote some Advent reflections and uses some really cool and imagery to show us how we can take this invitation and make sense of it in our daily lives. For those of us who aren't pregnant with God's Son, what does that look like to be pregnant with the Holy Spirit and to give birth to that in our lives? She says this, Our lives are not very dramatic compared to the story of Mary, but the Advent warfare is conducted on many fronts. I think of a businessman who refuses to go along with corrupt company policies, even though it would benefit him financially. He's holding his position on the Advent frontier. I think of a woman who came to see me to tell me that she was not going to leave her marriage in spite of the keen temptation to be happier with someone else. I think of the social workers and the teachers who remain content with their salaries. Parents who insist on limits even when it makes their children intensely angry. Accountants and builders and researchers who hold the line against declining standards. These are Advent people holding their positions in spite of personal losses. They are on location with the one that's to come, the one who Mary herself gave birth to. This is what it means to give birth to the Holy Spirit in our lives, to let it take control of our lives, to take up the invitation to be part of God's story. But how can Mary get to yes? I mean, she doesn't see the outcome of this story. She's, she doesn't know what's going to happen to her. She doesn't know the result of this life-changing news or how it will turn out. And yet she responds to the angel, may, your, may God's word be fulfilled in me. How do we get to that place? There is an overriding reality in this. And it's in the first 
line of the angel's announcement to Mary that sets the stage for Mary's yes. Do you know what that is? Mary, you are highly favored. That means in um, the, the Hebrew or the Greek language, that means you are deeply and you are fully loved by God. Mary, you are loved by God. That is all she needs. That's all she needs to get to yes. What about us? Tim Keller talks about being deeply favored. Each one of us. And he says it like this. He says, the only love that won't disappoint you is one that can't change. It's one that can't be lost. It's one that's not based on ups and downs of your life or how well you live. It's something that not even death can take away from you. God's love is the only thing like that. That's what it means to be deeply favored by God. But is this true of us? As we struggle to have trust in God, as we find ourselves breaking God's lock, having to come to be renewed by Him on a minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour basis. How is this true in our lives? How do we know we are deeply favored? Well, years after Mary gave birth to her son, he found himself in a garden. And he was processing challenging news for himself as he was looking, Jesus was looking ahead at the next uh, few hours of his life and seeing the death that was looming for him, and he questioned God. Right? He cried out to him. He said, if you can, let this cup pass from me. He was saying, please find another way. I don't want to do this. He was struggling to trust. Well, how did he respond? He said, not my will, but yours be done. And he says yes and submits himself to his father's will. But what's so amazing about Jesus is that he doesn't go to the cross. He doesn't get to yes in the same way Mary does. Mary hears, you are highly favored. Jesus hangs on the cross, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? Because the love of God had vanished from his life. He got to yes, knowing that it would strip him of his identity of being loved by God. And up there, he died alone. He hung on the cross alone. Why? See, Jesus wasn't receiving grace. He was earning it. He wasn't receiving love. He was earning love. He was deeply abandoned. So that we can know that we will never be deeply abandoned. That God's love will never leave us nor forsake us. Right? His love is not for the perfect or put together. But for the the half-hearted and the doubters. For the the moral outcasts. For the hypocrites. For all the people who know that we need Jesus. The one who lived how we should and died the death we deserve. But Jesus didn't just die, right? Third day comes along, and he blows a hole in death itself. And this means for us that, you know, when we face life-challenging, life-altering news, no matter how challenging, no matter how 
hurt we find ourselves, no matter how hard it is to trust, we can know by looking at the cross, by looking at the resurrection, that our story does not end in death. All of us who trust and follow Jesus will follow him through death and into new life. That is a promise. That's the gospel. And it's here in front of us at this table. Table where we are challenged by Jesus because we have to come with our need. We receive the bread, we receive the cup only because we need it each day. We, we need his nourishment, we need his strength, we need to live by him only. It's our life. We need this table. But it's also an invitation because it unites us to him. It unites us to everyone who is a Christian, the body of Christ. We are united to each other in this table. We are a part of God's greater story, and we are sent by him from this place into the world. See, when we eat this bread and drink this cup, Jesus is challenging us, inviting us, and sending us as Advent people. And so may we become like Mary, Trust God. Trust that we're part of a bigger story. See that God's favor is upon us and stand our ground each and every day. Let's come to the table. Let's pray together. Father, this is good news. Even when we feel challenged, even when we feel like we're at the end of ourselves, we know that um, you give us the strength to get through. And not just to get through, Father, you give us the strength of new life new life in Christ. And so we come to this table knowing that we need it. Thank you for it. Father, as we are sent out into this world, we pray that um, we would see ourselves in the calling that you placed on our lives to be Advent people, to be people on the front lines, right? giving, giving birth to the Holy Spirit's fruit each and every day. Father, um, give us the strength to do this. It's hard, and we need your help. We need you to be with us. So um, please, please be with us uh, this week. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.